Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Truth in the Show, where we're going to call it The Week in Punk. That is not punk rock, the hardcore uh, musical genre of which I am quite a fan, and I believe you are too, Chelsea. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, not that punk. Um, as in CM Chicago made punk, if you see what we mean, as he has caused quite the consultation this week. And Chelsea thought, as it would be a good idea to um, have a conversation and reflect upon the actions <laughs> of Mr. Phil Brooks in perhaps the weirdest seven days in professional wrestling. And bear in mind, this is a genre of, of, of uh, entertainment that once featured... Andre the Giant drunk in Tokyo trying to wrestle Akira Maeda. It ain't weirder <laughs> than that. <laughs> so, hey Chelsea, how are you? You there? Chelsea? Hey, sorry, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Sorry, I accidentally muted myself. Um, I'm saying uh, it's a beautiful morning, and it's been a crazy week in wrestling, and uh, um, what the heck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, where do we start? Let's, let's go back to, oh, last Sunday night, such innocent times when there was a wrestling pay-per-view class. Okay. Now, prior to this, and if you want, like, impassioned love of CM Punk to balance this out. Go listen to this week's um, Wrestling Rewind where Martin oh sorry, last week's Wrestling Rewind I think it's episode 104 Martin, who is a massive CM Punk fan, is hammer drunk and giving a full-throated support of CM Punk um, as a fan prior to the whole of this thing going on. Because if oh, you goodness. listen to Rewind, you know Dara is not a, a fan of the Punk. He has he has his doubts. Yeah. Arguably, okay. <laughs> they have played out this week exactly as he said they would do six months ago. And Martin <laughs> is the Punk fan, and it's an interesting conversation conversation to listen to. Now this week's comeback, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to go yeah. back, and I'm sure Martin and Daryl cover it on this week's show. So you want different opinions to us, which we always, you know, encourage. More opinions, good. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it'll be intriguing. I'm sure Martin likes to be sober this time, which probably help. But it's it's, <laughs> it's just like it's, it's so it's it's oh, it's like I oh, I can't describe it. It just it just really goes all in on the the tugging of the heartstrings. It's just a thing of beauty. You've got to listen to it anyway. Okay. We were all out last Sunday and. It, the previous week had been the loss to John Moxley of the AEW World Championship in the unification match between the interim and world champion. I am yes. so from my timeline, I'm right so far. Then we go to the promo from A Steel, encouraging Punk to go back at Moxley and take back what is rightfully his, which he did in what, by all accounts, was a perfect, perfectly good match. It was a really great match by some accounts. And then there was a press conference after the match where one of the journalists who covered the 
Punk and um, Colt Cabana Anand trial happened to be there. Punk saw him and said, do you still know Scott Colton? He didn't even raise the question. This was the interesting thing, because it sounded like to begin with, as far as I knew, that um, I think it's called Alzheimer's, isn't he? He talked to Punk about something, but Punk saw him and just asked about Colt Cabana, but as Scott Colton, and then went on a massive rant about Colt Cabana, Scott Colton, uh, the elite, Hangman Page, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks. <laughs> um, so where do you want to start? We've got other things to talk about that happened after, but I feel we need to pause here first. So, so my understanding is there's a little bit of interesting stuff that happened before. Um, yeah. So if I remember right, and I have to, let me just quickly look up the date because I feel like it's important. Adam Page and CM Punk had um, had a match and had some promos that they cut on each other on Dynamite prior yes. to this. It was mm-hmm. it was a while ago. It was like, am I right in thinking it was like April or May? Yeah, yeah, something? yeah. It was yeah. Like it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. And during that promo, Adam Page said something about workers rights and basically called punk a hypocrite because um you know essentially like punk always talks about how he wants to be like the voice for the voiceless he doesn't say that anymore but like he said that in wwe and kind of his brand and adam page is like well you talk about how you want to come here and like help people stick up for the little guy but you don't really care about workers rights or something like that something to that effect and if you watch the footage um which a lot of people didn't even really like think that was significant at the time because people who have promoted punk in other feuds like eddie kingston notably said a lot of very similar things and went yeah. way harder with that stuff about like you're a hypocrite you're a phony um you don't really care about anybody else you just care about yourself uh and i'm trying to think of who else somebody else said essentially the same thing but said it a little more offensively I, it's not coming to me right now it'd be mjf but, i think probably yeah that's right yeah, yeah. mjf yeah. really went hard on that stuff and because mjf is such a goofy character it didn't land in quite as an impactful way as it did when eddie kingston did it but yeah. if you watch when punk and eddie kingston have those moments punk is kind of smiling a little bit like he's relaxed he's yeah. calm He's taking it seriously, but um, one gets the impression from things that Eddie Kingston said during that feud that that particular aspect of their their promos was perhaps intentional and something they discussed beforehand because a lot of people pointed out that that Eddie Kingston CM Punk feud is intentionally a reverse of the dynamic in Punk's feud with Cena in WWE. So Punk is in the Cena role and Eddie Kingston was in the Punk role. And Eddie Kingston has confirmed before all this controversy happened, he was like, yeah, that was intentional. We did that on purpose. So Punk seemed to be on board then and he seemed to be on board when MJF did it. And I don't know what they talked about beforehand. I can see MJF going either way of like, let me run some stuff by you because I'm really going to go in or just being like, I'm going to be really mean and a bad guy. And Punk's like, cool. But when Adam Page does it, and people have noticed this now, I don't know that a lot of people noticed it then. If you watch the footage, Punk's eyes narrow. And he goes from his, like, 
his mean heel-ish kind of bad guy smirk face to being like, I will burn you. Like, he visibly looks really angry about it. And then, what's also weird is, so that happened. Apparently, according to Dave Meltzer this week, a few weeks prior to this pay-per-view, when Punk was, either when Punk was still out injured or when Punk was getting ready to drop the belt to Moxley, before this pay-per-view to give himself, I think it was to give himself more time to heal. Mm. Um, maybe it was just so they could put the big match on the pay-per-view and also figure out what they wanted to do with the title. I don't know. I don't know it why. Covered it covered a lot of way. sins, that angle, to be honest. Yeah. 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 It was not, it, I actually thought it was quite creative. And a lot of people complained about, oh, you can't have a three-minute main event. It's burying Punk and wanting to It's like, no, no one complained when uh, Hiromu Takahashi did it to Kushida like six years ago. And the yeah, rematch was I, massive. I, I, <laughs> fine, and I thought it was fine because both of those guys are good enough at the stuff that they do mm. that it felt believable. It is disappointing when you can watch something and kind of predict maybe where it's going to go in that sense. Like, it's a little disappointing when your wrestling brain is like, okay, well, I know where the booking's going now. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, like, I think we all knew that when Punk came back that he was going to drop the belt to, or yeah. that uh, Mox was going to drop the belt. Um, yeah. I think we all knew that. But uh, so the other, the thing that Meltzer said is that apparently a couple weeks prior to this, Punk was telling people backstage that this was going to be an interesting press conference. And the other thing Meltzer said that I just saw today is that, because uh, I don't, I don't subscribe to Wrestling Observer. I just get like the little the highlight <laughs> spots, if you will. Um, uh, was um, apparently Meltzer said that Tony knew Punk was going to say something, but possibly not like the full extent of it. Yeah. And so Nick Houseman guy. Oh, also, sorry. One more thing. One more piece of like prequel information that we now know that we didn't really. Okay, so Nick Houseman works for Wrestling Inc., which is not one of the top-tier wrestling news websites. Like, I don't really think of it on the same level as, like, Wrestling Observer or Fightful. But it's not its not necessarily bad. It's just not one of the more popular websites. Yeah. Um, he, he did an interview a while ago with Adam Page. And this was after the promo that I mentioned before. And when he did the interview, he, he kind of alluded to Adam Page. Like, he's like, hey, so did you guys have some real life backstage heat there? And Adam Page is like, I think I've talked about that as much as I'm going to talk about that. Just, you know, kind of dodged the question, didn't deny it, didn't confirm it, which is, I don't know, was kind of an interesting way to duck that question. Um, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then when Punk calls out Nick Hausman, in the press conference and Nick Hausman is like, dude, I'm not friends with Colt Cabana anymore. Or like, I was never friends with him. I, I'm not sure how he said it, but he was like, I'm not friends with Colt Cabana. Like you're, you're wrong to call me out for that. Yeah. Uh, there was, yeah he was, he's a journalist. He was doing a job. Sure. Um, yeah. Punk makes a little offhanded comment that I didn't catch at the time, but a lot of people did where he's like, Oh, you blew my spot or blew up my spot, which is like, you know, you, you, rehearse something and it didn't go well um yeah that's interesting uh that lends credibility to the idea that maybe he had a lot of this planned beforehand Um, yeah so that's all that's all very interesting in context 
There is. I mean, there there is other little parts of the puzzle, which was Adam Page at a Q&A after the Punk feud was asked, what is it like working with all these great veterans in AEW? And his response was, well, really, I don't take advice well, and I prefer to make mistakes. And at the end of the day, I'm one of the guys that founded the company. I'm a former world champion, and I, I'm secure in my ability as a draw. Right. Which is perfectly reasonable. But right. then the opening salvo is, I work with a bunch of kids who won't take advice. So I have a question, actually, about that Adam Page comment. Was that at a press conference, or was that at a convention? Because it I was, was it was at a, an event. It was, it was at a convention style event. He was he was sat on the ring side. Yep. I'm guessing it was probably something like um, the NWA convention at uh, WrestleMania weekend. It looked like that WrestleCon, basically. Right. I think it's something along those lines, even if it wasn't WrestleCon. I hate to right. like um, right. say that, can, but what I have seen that video. Gotcha. So like either I, articulated that viewpoint in other places or Punk watched that footage. <laughs> And both of those things are kind of crazy to think about. Anyway, I'm sorry, James, I cut you off. No, you're, that, that's the thing. It is like, I mean, Bix said about it this week, isn't it? Um, for those of you who don't know, David Bixen Span, known yeah. wrestling journalist, and we both follow, and he follows me, and we talk from time to time about various bits and pieces. But David pointed out, like, he must have seen <laughs> a headline, and it wasn't, it didn't even make, like, um, Fightful or... Um, wrestling observer news it was it probably some deal. sorry it wasn't a big deal when he said it, no, it wasn't no. that a lot of people got excited about it. no so he must have seen a headline from something like wrestling Inc. or one of the smaller websites not wrestling Inc. isn't tiny but mm-hmm. you know one of the ringside news etc <laughs> uh, which which mjf jokes about this week it's like you know, he 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 made a joke about how reliable Ringside News were when wrestling fans know Ringside News is the least reliable news source in professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, and it, and it's funny as well. Like this week, the week before AEW uh, all out, everyone was going like, "Oh, presses are boring. Why are they bothering? No one asks any decent questions because they don't because they'll lose access if they ask a question that's like particularly searching." And that's the reason why they do presses. They're giving you access, kinda. You know, I've done presses. Right. They're horrible. You sit there with your question, hoping nobody asks questions the same question you've gone to ask. It's like I did a Scott Steiner right. presser for Impact Wrestling once, and it's like. You're hoping Scott doesn't blow up and just not talk about anything else if you ask something slightly out of friend because he blew up on three people before he got to me. Right. And then I asked something about his amateur wrestling coach and he calmed down. <laughs> and you could hear a sort of sigh of release from all the other journalists. <laughs> and everybody, then it was a lot easier after that. So I kind of helped everybody out because Scott was not in a mood. <laughs> I'm just like... And a good- Good journalists can do that, and not everybody has that club in their bag. No, exactly. And it's like, so the week before this, because obviously WWE had now started doing presses after their events. Obviously, New Japan Pro Wrestling do presses after their events. It's become an interest industry-wide thing, which we can thank Tony Khan for, because you get a lot more access than you would do normally. But no one's going to go out of their way to say, that match was shit. <laughs> 
Because or do you are you did you really break so and so's leg? Was there a drug deal done? Yeah, because they're not going to. They're not going to answer those questions. Right, right. And Tony Khan has been criticized a little bit for um, letting some people have credentials for the press conference that are yeah. not like the most legitimate publications. Like there's one in particular I can't think of the name, and I, I don't want to trash them or anything but like there's one in particular where a lot of people were like those two people who run a twitter account and have a podcast with a hundred listeners get press credentials for an AEW presser like why yeah um yeah, the, the, anyway i mean sorry were you no gonna... offense but as i say there is literally children at this presser like how, yeah. old, is he? how old is izzy now she must be like 14 <laughs> <laughs> a little older than that i'm gonna look it yeah, up yes but there was another another child reporter there as well after like um punk went on this massive swear word tirade and then this 10 year old puts the hat on <laughs> and it's like ooh. she's yeah. 15 to wikipedia and i feel gross that i had to look that up yeah um, well i mean because- she's 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 an interesting character who's grown up in the wrestling industry. And maybe she's a subject yeah. of a podcast another day because I'm intrigued as to what's going to happen with her. But anywho. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it was just... I won't, I, To be honest with you, this how I found out about it is I, woke, I went to bed early Sunday night because I had a long week ahead. And I woke up mm-hmm. uh, very early on Monday morning, like 20 past four. And mm-hmm. I'm just wake up just at the end of the main event. And I'm like, as I follow through my Twitter feed, I was like, oh, I wonder what happened. Because I know I'm probably not going to get a chance to watch it this week. So I follow it through. Yep. And then this Twitter explodes with CM Punk in capital letters everywhere. Oh, my God. What's he saying? What's he done? And, he, and, he, and I yep. find it and I listen to it. And I'm like, well, this is different. Everyone's been complaining presses are boring. <laughs> and this ain't boring. So... I, uh... I'll do you one better. I was at Disney World. Um, I just I just did a two week Disney World vacation with one of my friends who flew over from your side of the pond to mine, and mm. we had gone to a fancy Disney sit down restaurant, and we were heading back and we're in the lift, and I finally look at my phone, having not touched my phone for hours, having not watched the pay per view, and I look at my phone and go, Oh my god, what happened? My timeline yeah. is exploding. Um, one of those nights where wrestling Twitter was just on one and it took me about 15 minutes to like find actual clips of like the whole thing because everybody was just posting like individual segments. Um, and my jaw dropped. (laughs) 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 Um, and I didn't, I didn't watch the pay-per-view at all, but I immediately found the recording that Denise Salicito from Fightful posted, which has better audio than the one on the AEW YouTube. Um, and, uh, watched it and, and, you know, I'm sitting there in our vacation rental, like squeaking while with my headphones on and my friend is like, what is going on? Is Non-wrestling fan friend of dealing with this has just got to be hilarious. Oh yeah, completely. And like, she's sick of like everybody who's friends with me. Everyone who's friends with me who doesn't like wrestling is sick of listening to me talk about wrestling because sometimes like, I'm like, no, this is objectively interesting. And other people are like, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> I didn't subject too much wrestling while we were on vacation because there was just so much stuff to do every day. But 
Um, but yeah, I was trying to explain it to her and then I was like, this is too complicated. I can't explain it to you. And she was like, good. I'm glad you came to that conclusion on your own. Um, So so we haven't really talked a whole lot about exactly what Punk said. So he called out Nick Hausman and then launches into this tirade of, um, he's like, you know, I'm a grown ass man. Why is it not, why is it anybody else's business why I choose not to be friends with Colt Cabana? And when he first said that, I was totally on his side. I was like, yeah, I absolutely agree. It's probably really annoying to have a bunch of people who don't know you, some of them have never met you, speculating about a friendship that is completely like done for you. Um, That's got to be a really frustrating aspect of being a famous person in the same way like it's not exactly the same situation but the same way that like there are people who still ask nikki bella about john cena and like they're both with other people now and nikki has kids you know it's like it's like don't talk to someone about a relationship that like was over years ago um and then he starts talking about the details of the colt cabana situation he's like i have receipts i have an email from him saying that, um, you know, we'll go our separate ways and I'll get my own lawyer and you don't have to pay for it. And he doesn't say anything about how they got to that point. He doesn't say anything about why, which is still the question we don't have an answer to. Yeah. As Dixon's been pointing out on Twitter this entire time since this happened. Um, we yeah. still don't know why Colt Cabana got his own lawyer in the trial. Should we explain the trial? James? I think we, well, let's, yeah, I think most people know of the Annan trial, which was the former doctors of WWE who sued Colt Cabana and CM Punk after CM Punk did a podcast after leaving WWE um, and with his then he best friend. Five. Sorry? Yep. He did, yeah, yeah, he did uh, Colt Yeah, where he. Uh, suggested that Alan was uh, incompetent, and after the court case, the court agreed that he was actually incompetent, uh, <laughs> which went well for him. I think, I think it was a little more complicated than that, only in that it was a defamation case, if I remember yeah, correctly. It was, yeah, that's right. Yeah. In the US, I know it's different in the UK, but in the US, in order to prove defamation in court, you have to have a lot of evidence, not just that somebody did some or said something that made you look bad, you have to have evidence that it ruined other things in your life. Usually that it like deprived you of income because mm-hmm. this guy's a doctor, that it you know, could have cost him his license, which it didn't. Um, and that you have reasonable cause to say, this person said these things about mm-hmm. me and it caused me immeasurable harm. And that harm is correct, connected directly to the things that they said. And Defamation is a really high bar to clear in court, is my understanding. Um, yeah. Having looked into like, I'm not a lawyer at all, obviously, but I've looked into other defamation cases involving like famous people, and it's very difficult to successfully sue someone for defamation. And my yeah. personal theory has always been that Dr. Amen probably knew that, and that because you know maybe Vince was personally paying for that entire lawsuit just to make punk have to bleed money in court. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, we don't know that for sure. That's not confirmed. But um, it's entirely possible that, like, you know, WWE was like, look, we're going to bankroll this lawsuit just to put this guy through a really expensive, really frustrating 
set of circumstances. Yeah. Which is it feels just, like a jackass speaking up against us. Yeah, and this is something that happens all the time. The former president of the United States of America is currently trying to do the very same thing to make sure that the story he's currently in doesn't go, it doesn't get resolved yep. before midterms. He may end up going to prison anyway, but he's going to go to prison in six months' time, not in three months' time. If he gets to go to prison in three months' time, it would be really bad for the Republican Party. Not as particularly great for the Republican Party either way, but it's that kind of grind things out to make sure that the other person and other people don't um, see things as worthwhile. It isn't yep. necessarily about putting punk on the back foot. It's about anyone else who leaves us on bad terms this is what's going to happen to you, which is petty and vindictive, but it's Vince McMahon we're talking about here. It's petty, it's petty and vindictive, and by all accounts of everything, the trial was incredibly traumatic for Punk. Um, he cried on the witness stand, and that is not a dude who cries in public a lot. Um, and it probably really sucks that people, I, I legitimately, I will give him this, it probably really sucks that people keep bringing that shit up. And I don't necessarily mean other wrestlers cutting promos on him. I mean, it probably really sucks that he knows that people are constantly talking about that and tweeting him about it. He's responded mm. to a couple people who tweeted him about it before. Uh, one guy who was like, you know, it's just money. Can't you work things out with your friend? And Punk's like, I tried everything I could. Um, yeah. So we still don't know what the catalyst was for Colt getting his own lawyer after Punk originally said he would pay their legal expenses and therefore Colt didn't need to take the podcast down to acquiesce with WWE's like cease and desist demands. And um, and then after Colt got his own lawyer and after the trial was resolved, there was like, I think less than a week later, uh, Colt sued Punk for not having paid his legal expenses, which he previously agreed to, and Punk countersued him. And yeah. that case was settled um, I think it was settled out of court or either it was settled out of court or it was settled like in court with prejudice. So those guys can't sue each other for the same thing again, is my understanding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, so the end, that up. I was going mm -hmm. to say the end of the trial as well is really interesting. But when they gave mm -hmm. their decisions, when the judge gave their decisions, AJ Lee sat behind both of them. And she hugs Punk. Obviously, that's her husband. But then she goes and hugs Cabana. But Cabana and Punk don't look at each other. Yeah. Which is really weird. And then they both get interviewed by Houseman afterwards. How oh, no? Punk's lawyer gets interviewed by Houseman, and Cabana gets interviewed by Houseman and his lawyer too. That would they were both. Mm. I remember watching them at the time. Um, but it would suggest that there was tension there between the two of them at that particular point, anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're um, right. That's kind of unpertinent to the conversation, except for the fact that someone raised to the wrestling press in the last seven days, the well, last 10 days, Colt Cabana had been moved to Ring of Honor at the behest of CM Punk, which yep. Tony Khan said was not true in the press conference. And how are we to not believe Tony Khan? If he said no, and Colt hasn't said anything, and uh, is quite rightly not saying a word about anything at the moment, because that's the best thing he can possibly do. And let's be yeah. honest, Colt has said some things in the past which have been a bit wrong, so he's taking the right course of action for him, which isn't helpful to us as wrestling journalists, but <laughs> it's very useful to him, because the right thing to do is just shut up and see what happens. There is nothing, there is nothing that Colt can say that's not going to make him 
look like a loser in this situation or come out as a loser in this situation. If he's like, no, AW is just going to let me go because my contract was almost up and Tony didn't see, you know, a use for me. No matter how he tries to spin that, if he's like, no, that's not why AEW was going to let me out of my AEW contract and not sign me to a new one, um, that makes him look like a loser who was about to get cut. He doesn't necessarily want people to think of him that way. Mm -hmm. And if he says anything about punk at all, that is the tiniest, littlest bit critical, the people who are the obsessive CM Punk stands who probably don't even know all the circumstances of all of this or who know a lot of the circumstances, but only view it through the lens of like an incredibly biased pro-punk point mm-hmm. of view. They're going to come for his throat. Um, yeah, exactly. And every single person he has, those people are going to come after him. And Colt is not an inaccessible guy. I mean, like he, he runs a Twitch stream. Um, yeah. It would probably be easy for those people to harass him in droves. So he's saying nothing. And that is perfectly reasonable. And if you're looking at it from a booking point of view... I'd rather have Colt Cabana in Ring of Honor. A long-term Ring of Honor, former champion, uh, mm-hmm. a legacy signing, who is the kind of guy who could help run a locker room. And when they finally get a TV show and they've got things up and running, you want a senior member of the roster to hold as a steady ship. I want Colt Cabana. You know, that's the kind of guy you want in that job. I mean, I sort of agree in the sense that, like, on, on paper, that sounds good. Um, my personal view is whether or not whether or not punk had anything to do with Colt. Um, so my understanding was not just that punk was like, get Colt to ring of honor, get him away from me. My understanding is that punk was just like, fire that guy. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want him in the locker room. Hmm. Um, and it sounds like if that's true, it sounds like maybe Tony was willing to do it. And the rumor is that somebody possibly the bucks went to Tony and were like, don't fire him, find a place for him. Colt's a good guy. We want him here and convince Tony to put him in Ring of Honor. Um, right. And, you know, I I'm, I am not a Colt Cabana fan. I never really, really have been. Um, I've seen him wrestle uh, at least twice in the last six years. Um, I kind of feel like he doesn't have anything interesting to offer at this point, but I could, I could see your argument of, like, that guy's a locker room leader um, because he's a veteran, and a lot yeah. of the guys like him. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I think, uh, have we, have we gone through like a complete rundown of everything Punk said? Do we need to do that? Should we just, I don't think we need to. Me? I think we've kind of got the, the basic issue is as far as we can tell, Hangman Page, bad. Cole Cabana, no longer friends. Uh, then we get to right. the elite, which is there weren't specific things said about the elite, but the elite were told. If you want to come see me, you can do anytime you want. Which was basically the implication that it was the elite that leaked the news about Colt Cabana moving to Ring of Honor being a CM Punk idea. Yeah. And matching up with a bunch of clowns who don't know what they're doing and won't take advice. Right. Which is, you know, that's another thing. And it's like Omega wasn't called out specifically because I don't think Punk has a problem with Omega. But obviously one of the executive vice presidents of the company who is close friends with the other two executive vice presidents of the company is going to go back them up when they go and see the person that's just said, come see us if you have a problem. Right. Which brings us to the next element of the evening. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't specifically say, like, those guys need to come see me. He ranted about them. He said they couldn't manage a target, which 
A working class guy, a formerly working class guy who used to work in a comic book shop, you think he wouldn't be talking shit about retail workers like that? I I did not like that. I was like, that's a really stupid, fucked up thing to say. Um, Because working at Target is a pretty sweet gig relative to a lot of the other jobs in retail. Like, uh, and, you know, don't shit on people for what they do for a living as long as they're not, like, actively hurting people, my man. Um, So he said that. And he said, if anybody has a problem with me, come to me. But he didn't say, we'll talk. He said, let's go. Yeah, and this is overly aggressive, but let's move on. Before, before the details of the fistfight that happened afterwards came out, just watching that, I because the, the news of the fistfight wasn't like available when I first watched this. Yeah. Um, I think it had probably happened, but people just didn't know about it. They knew there was an altercation, but they didn't know it was a fist fight. Uh, yeah. Um, I I already thought I was like, that doesn't sound like you want to have a reasonable conversation as adults. No, and I'm, I'm not being funny. You are an employee of the company, and you want to call out your managers to have a fight. Yeah. Hmm. That's weird. It's also so, weird. He interrupted Tony when Tony was trying to talk about it. Um, yeah. And Tony was like trying to clarify that, oh no, Punk had nothing to do with Colt being moved to Ring of Honor. And Punk interrupted him. And he's sitting there criticizing Tony's employees who work directly under him, who work yeah. over the wrestlers, with Tony sitting next to him. That was yeah. just really pretty weird. Yeah. And then, and obviously, Tony did look like a dog, deer cut in headlights through the entire interview, because obviously he'd been blindsided. Um, and he didn't know whether to interrupt and stop things, which he probably should have done before it got that far. But yes. equally, he was trying to let things go because maybe Punk was going to rein it back in. And maybe this was just a promo and he was trying to make business. And But there's quite clearly a disconnect between what Tony was seeing in front of him and the words that were coming out of Punk's mouth. Yeah. And then after that all blew off, there was the fist fight, which as far as we know, from the information that's been given from both sides, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega went to see Punk, who had locked the door to his dressing room and wasn't coming out. According to Punk, they, the Young Bucks kicked the door down. According to the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, they opened the door politely <laughs> and went for a talk because that's what they went to do because they're managers of a wrestling company and you don't go like tooled up to go see one of your employees, do you? Um, and then Kenny, whilst things were getting tense and Punk took a swing at Matt Jackson, Kenny took Punk's dog out of the room because he felt he might get excited and got heated. When he got back in the room, Ace Steel bit him and punched him in the face. Uh, according to Punk, he destroyed Matt Jackson's face, which according to the pictures on Instagram the following day, he most certainly did not. <laughs> and interesting. that's interesting someone did point out about the dog story that you know things were getting heated and dogs will do what dogs will do and maybe there was a gentleman's agreement that the dog bought pit Kenny Omega and A said oh, I bit Kenny Omega to you know to take the heat off the dog mm-hmm. which is a perfectly reasonable explanation um, numerous things that, that I, and I'm not <laughs> saying I don't believe punk, but I'm more inclined to believe the books because it's more realistic. 
And as quite frankly, and most people said, and probably the books would say, if you were looking for a shoot fighter, the last two people in the wrestling industry I'd look for is Nick, 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 and, Nick and Matt Jackson. Um, and to me, again, it's like, that's their company. That's their baby. Why would they go up to be aggressive and violently aggressive to one of the biggest stars in the industry? Whether they like him or not, he's still one of their employees. Apparently they were begging him to sign for a Sorry? long time. They said that. They were asking him to sign to AEW for a long time before he yeah. did. Um, so, so that's... I, a yeah, so I don't see why they would be like overly aggressive. And obviously Punk and A Steel are trying to deflect a little bit because they look terrible, both of them do in this particular instance. Maybe not A Steel, but he certainly looks deserved. Also, didn't A Steel throw a chair at Nick Jackson that supposedly knocked Nick out? Or even yeah. knocked him out or gave him a black eye or both? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's not great. <laughs> no, it's not. You know, especially if you only just started working for the company. Um, yeah. And as a result of all that, as we saw on Dynamite, the Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks were stripped of the six-man titles, which went to Death Triangle, and CM mm -hmm. Punk was stripped of the AEW World Heavyweight Championship, which was held up for a tournament of champions, which is ongoing. Um and that's interesting, but we'll talk about the ramifications for the company in the minute because we're still on with Punk, Book, and Omega. They were suspended, as was Michael Nakazawa, um, A Steel, uh, I think Dean Malenko, and uh, one of the other road agents who's oh, and Brandon Thurston, who was also there. He's he he's obviously one of the, the friends of well, one of a member of the elite, and also. Uh, he works as road agent. Yeah. And I think that was it. Christopher Daniels. Um, Christopher Daniels, that was it. I knew it was one of the other road agents. They all got suspended because they were all involved. Sorry? Uh, uh, sorry, I just... Christopher Daniels being suspended for anything sounds so odd to me. Because that dude is like what you think of when you think of a seasoned pro. And I, that doesn't mean you always agree with him. But isn't he known for being pretty professional most of the time? Yeah, I think that him and Nakazawa both. And I think that they were all suspended on the grounds they were involved in the fight, even if they were just breaking it up. Mm. And therefore, they just suspended everybody pending investigation. They have nothing to worry about, I don't think. I think it was just, to be fair, that everybody was involved was suspended. Um, yeah. And then everyone can kind of calm down. Um, and from... What we know, Punk had a conversation with Tony Khan. The rumor has it that he's injured and wouldn't be back for quite some time anyway, and it might be a, a like a career-threatening injury that he picked up in the match. He has tricep tear. Yeah, he's yeah. going to need surgery. I think. I think. I don't know that AEW confirmed that, but enough of the high-quality wrestling journalists who like aren't going to make that shit up have yeah. said that. Even though Punk doesn't talk to media, which tells me that they probably confirmed that stuff with AEW. Like he yeah. tore a tricep. It, a lot of people saw that in the match that he was hurt. He was icing his arm during the press conference. So it seems likely that he's going to be out six to nine months anyway, even if none of this ever happened. Yeah. And this is, and this is the thing. <laughs> now we get to the crux of the matter. Let's, well, first of all, 
through this madness, why do you think Punk chose now to blow off? Because it's like, how long's a piece of string? I've been going back and forth about that in my head all week. Um, mm. So one of my best friends had me like call him and catch him up on this entire situation because he doesn't watch that much wrestling anymore. But he's a big punk fan. At one point, he considered getting a punk tattoo. That's the kind of fan he is. Right, yeah. And he he was saying to me, he's like, what if he just was exhausted and tired and didn't want to do this job anymore and wasn't happy doing it and was like, I don't care if I get fired. Let me just say some shit on my way out. And then if they fire me, cool. I don't have to keep working at this job where I don't need the money and I don't want to be there. That's happened before. Um, that kind of action has happened before. I can give you an example yes. of that. Mick Foley and Big Van Vader in the main event of Halloween Havoc in 1994. Mick Foley was mm-hmm. sick of professional wrestling, didn't want to wrestle anymore, couldn't figure out how to quit from his contract because he knew that WCW never let him quit from his contract because if he did, he would um, just... Lang- he knew WWE didn't want him at the time. He knew he would languish on the Indies and not earn any money. So he figured the best way of doing it was to have a massive injury, claim on his insurance, and retire at 33, or however old he was at the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. The only trouble was, Van Vader did a massive backdrop back bump onto the apron, which characters knew he was going to take, and knew he was going to hurt really badly, but didn't hurt badly enough, because he was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, but that was like, injuring myself to get out of, like, my contract was... There's been numerous other occasions uh, where kind of those kind of things happened long before long-term contracts as well. So it is, it's not impossible to believe. But the yeah. issue back to it being premeditated because he was saying for months before. Yes. And oh, he was he was clearly seeding about that. Oh, we also we didn't even talk about the fact that he gave Adam Page a receipt on live TV without um, without anybody knowing he was going to do that. He, uh, yeah. prior to this, uh, called Adam Page out to the ring on an episode of Dynamite when he was supposed to be out in the ring waiting for Moxley. And Adam Page wasn't at TV that day, so there was no way for him to come out to the ring to address it. And mm. Punk just lost his shit, you know, and was like, Adam Page, fight me, you know, fight me if you really care about AEW, if you care about all of this um and adam page didn't come out and i think punk either called him a coward or said something about you know like fight me like a man um which is messed up and brian danielson gave a comment to dave Meltzer saying punk was going into business for himself no one knew he was going to do that um which so is just daniel danielson is very rarely makes comments like that as well yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's something that's, that's kind of noteworthy at that point too Mm-hmm. I think so too. So, mm. uh, so Punk was clearly stewing about the Adam Page thing for a minute. Uh, um, he was. It's it's very interesting to me that he was so mad at that guy. It's very interesting to me that he chose that forum to air. Not only that he was mad at Adam Page, but also mad about the Colt Cabana stuff because. Like, 
Okay, so there are wrestlers who can't get mainstream media publications or even wrestling publications to treat them like their perspective is anything interesting to listen to, right? There are people who have yeah, to beg yeah. to be on Punk. Punk isn't one of them. Punk has been in, like, Rolling Stone, The Washington Post, The New York Times. Like, he could have called literally any wrestling journalist or any journalist and been like, I'm CM Punk, and I want to sit down and clear the air about this situation with Colt Cabana. He totally could have done that. He totally didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Bolasano at uh, Sports Illustrated. He would have... <laughs> he would have got in the car fast enough. It's exactly his kind of thing. You know, there's a bunch of people he could have done, he could have done it with. Like mainstream I mean, people. Sean Ross Sapp one time uh, skipped a funeral for someone he was close to so that he could interview the Young Bucks when they wanted to talk to him about a big deal situation. So, yeah. 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 You know. He had options. He had more options than almost anybody else who wants to talk about a serious yeah. situation and get his point across in a professional way. Also, he could have just said, and I'm sorry, there's no way an, uh, someone who's as good an orator as Punk, I know he doesn't have a lot of like traditional media training, but he's been doing this for a long time. There's no way that he didn't have the ability to think beforehand that all he needed to say about Cabana specifically was, it wasn't me. I wasn't responsible for any of the employment decisions. I didn't get involved in any of that. And by the way, I really resent that people want me to talk about this former friendship that has been over for like 10 years. I don't want to yeah. talk about that. Ask me anything else. If I mean, he didn't uh, want to talk about that, he was actually really mad about the idea that somebody wanted to bring it up. He could have just skipped it. He brought it up. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the bit. It's just like when I first listened to it, it was like, why would anyone ask me about Cabana now? I mean, apart from that story. And it's like, well, I suppose that, but it was two weeks ago. I'd forgotten about it. And it's like, the thing to do is just like, ah, I don't want to talk about it, let's move on. We just had a great match. We should be talking about the pay-per-view. We should be talking about the next pay-per-view, who my next challenger is, all of that stuff, which is the reason why you're there. But, right. you know, and it's like, and if he's doing it for money reasons, there's a little bit of money with Colt Cabana. There's a possibility if you could get those two to work together again, maybe. Oh, I didn't think about that. But, so you're saying, like, he did it for money reasons like to try to get a feud with Colt on stream. Yeah, if, if, if there was, if there was, but if there's so many other people in AEW to have a feud with that would actually make money. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm sure Colt is a capable main event wrestler who could have a good feud with, but he's been uh, mid-carder at best in AEW since he got there. He's not really been pushed. He's kind of been comedy aside which Colt's happy with he's making a living it's kind of like Colt said it's the only place he would sign a contract you know it's the only people he ever wanted to work for where he'd actually sign a full-time contract because he liked being an independent wrestler um right. you know he's he's been happy to work there he, he's to be blunt he showed the shit for the job and that's he's been a company man and that's not something I would ever thought I'd ever say about Colt Cabana but he has and he's perfectly capable sure. wrestler of doing the things that he needs to do to maintain the position he's in in the company. But yeah. you've got Daniel Bryan, you've got Brian Danielson, you've got Brody King, you've got Malachi Black up until this week. You've got uh, a laundry list of main event wrestlers from the world over, even before you get to Tanahashi, Okada, Nato, and a bunch of guys from New Japan you could make millions with. So why would you start right. a feud with Colt Cabana? 
as much as I think Colt's quite a good wrestler. I don't think he's that good a wrestler. So the only person you're really trying to do it to is to get to the books and get to Omega. And surely there are easier ways of picking a feud with Kenny Omega. By going to I mean, Kenny Omega, hey, I'd like a program with you. What do we do to do to get there? And, you know, I don't know that Omega would have said yes to that. Um, cause it's, it's hard to know because Kenny doesn't really talk about his personal feelings about other people he works with unless they're positive. Um, yeah. like he's been very clever about that through the course of his career. I don't, I don't think we have any way of knowing what his personal feelings about punk were before all of this. Uh, and so maybe Kenny would have said, yes, maybe Kenny would have been open to that. Maybe Kenny would have been like, well, you know, if you're interested in doing that, we should work up to it. Like you should feud with some of the elite guys. And then it would make sense for you and I to have a big knockdown drag out. Something like that. Mm. Um, uh, And, you know, Kenny and his role as an EVP, um, I would imagine, would have some influence over what gets booked um, more than your average wrestler, which a lot of people have pointed out since this press conference, and there were some who said it beforehand, that is potentially a big problem with the way that Tony has done business so far, is that even though, yes, the Bucks are founders, yes, Kenny is a founder, and maybe those guys should get some financial compensation for that. I'm sure they do in their contracts, but it's not a great idea to have people who are active wrestlers on your roster um, also being in charge of the booking and how the storylines work and having authority backstage over the other wrestlers. That's a bad idea, just in general, because it I sets mean, up an unhealthy power, even if they're not abusing their power. I mean, it, in wrestling history, <laughs> it's worked well and it's not worked well. But I will tell you this, Stampede Wrestling made more money when Stu Hart was a booker than when he was a wrestler. Uh, Florida made more money with Eddie Graham in charge than with anyone else in charge. He wasn't a wrestler. He was a booker. He wasn't a wrestler at the time. Right. Um, right. Uh, Bill Watts, UWF. Bill Watts, when he was concentrating on being a booker, made money hand over fist. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they, I mean, there is, there is nothing wrong with the creative minds of Omega and the books, and you, there is, they could make great bookers, and obviously the tag team division has been on fire, which is the books' responsibility, and yeah. people want to work for the books, hence why they have such great tag teams. So I don't think it's completely negative, but when it comes to bigger egos that they have in the company now than they did when they started eighteen two months two years ago, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. The, the, like when AEW started, Jericho was the biggest name in the company and it was the bright young thing. And they signed all these guys from Impact and they signed some guys from DDT and some guys from New Japan and one thing or another, you know. Mm-hmm. Then it was fine because there was only Jericho who understood the books and understood Kenny Omega and could figure out how to make things work for himself. I was quite happy yeah. to work with all of these people, you know. Right. But, Jericho is a canny operator who always looks after his own best interests because that's why he's lasted so long. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, right, also, you... I'm sorry, I cut you off. Say what you're going to say. I was going to say, whereas like someone and there's someone like Phil Brooks isn't necessarily that happy-go-lucky. You can say what you like about um, Jericho's politics, as in big mm-hmm. P rather than small P. I don't necessarily agree with things, but then again, he rarely, rarely speaks about it in public, apart from some obvious things that he's done. 
But his actual politicking in wrestling has always been on point and always been sharp. And you should follow what Chris Jericho is trying to say and trying to do because he always gets what he wants without being controversial. Yeah, without like you know demanding things overly demanding. He's the guy that beat the Rock for the double double championship because Vince McMahon saw something in him and made him a star. You know, even when other people didn't see it, and he has had that political longevity that other people have not had and still been the biggest star in the company. Whereas Punk doesn't do that. Punk's kind of, kind, Punk's kind of a star despite himself sometimes and kind of a star because he is so anti-authoritarian. Yeah. I, um, you know, that anti-authoritarian thing works really, really well when the person in charge of the company is an old man who's been in charge of the company for decades, who wields his power in an authoritarian way. And every fan of WWE, whether you like CM Punk or not, every fan of WWE has had criticisms over the years of Vince McMahon. We all have personal beef with Vince McMahon. There's at least one thing that guy has booked or said or done that every wrestling fan is pissed off about. You know, every wrestling fan has a beef there. So when Punk is like, uh, fuck you, Vince McMahon, fuck you, Triple H. Um, and Triple H has been around long enough that everybody has a beef with Triple H. Even if you like Triple H, there are, everyone has something that guy has said or done that they don't like. Yeah. Um, it's very, it's potentially very easy to see things from his point of view and be like, yeah, man, that guy's an underdog and he's he agrees with me because he also doesn't like this shit. And yeah. Tony Khan is sits next to the wrestlers at press conferences and is like buddies with the people who work for him so much so that he's only recently apparently had to restructure things under him so that if you have a problem within AEW and you need to talk to someone who's an authority, you have to go through other people to get to him. Yeah. That wasn't the case before. For a long time, he was the person personally handling a lot of it which has worked really well for some people, like Jade Cargill has said that's one of the things she likes about working for AEW. Didn't work so well for uh, Big Swole. Um, That was a huge problem, that she could talk to Tony about things, but if it wasn't something Tony personally cared about or somebody else had already gotten to Tony with their side of whatever, then she was stuck. There was Mm. no, like, middleman, there was no mediation, there was no arbitration, you know, I'm Mediation maybe is a strong word. There was no process for how do we get potentially things done? How do we settle things that didn't yeah. involve Tony? And hopefully there is now. Um, but I could see that being an issue. But, yeah. you know, I I don't know, man. I uh, hmm. One of the other things I keep thinking about about punk in this last week, aside from the fact that, like, Man, does that dude desperately need people to like him. And Mm. he is very good in the best moments of his career at saying the right things to get people to like him. Um, And I saw him doing it during that press conference, saying things where I was like, do you genuinely mean that? Or are you just saying it because you know it's the right thing to say? Like when he was saying that he and Moxley are very similar. I was like, "Mm, maybe that was true 10 years ago. I don't really think it is now. No, Are you just saying yeah. that because you know people like John Moxley? Yeah. You know? That's the thing. It's, yeah, it's, 
this uh, well there's also we should probably talk about this as well there's also been rumors about a power struggle within the direction of the company and cm punk being in tony's ear about yeah. certain things which yeah uh and apparently fdr were kind of on side with that and this is the thing like this is the bit i don't get and it's part of our fdr shtick is that they're always up against it um yeah and it's like but they've had the best tag matches not of the year they've had the best tag matches of the decade in the last 12 months some of the best matches AEW's put on has been fdr and the briscoes and fdr yeah. and the t-shirt um forbidden door I'm even super into those guys and i agree like i yeah. they've they've been on fire yeah and it's like, I absolutely do not think they've been pushed down the card in any way, shape, or form. The reason why they're at Ring of Honor is because they need big names at Ring of Honor to make the company stick around. And it, it's yeah. like, yes, there's been some missteps about the way in the video game, and, you know, they haven't got the right. tag team belts, but they can't have the tag team belts forever. You know, that's, right. that's the thing. And I don't see it as that. I could, I could see them thinking the same way Punk does, because they came through the same system, to be mm-hmm. wrestlers and i can understand that but it's like sure. they've been mates with the books for how long as well you know it's not like the they've fallen out with the books either you know and, right. it's, always, and it's always part of the shtick of fdr to be up against it because they're the, the underdogs against the company you know they were even joking about like trying to get on tracks they're the old yeah. school guys who are going against guys who like to do flips yeah that's it, and that's kind of their shtick. So I think that bleeds a lot into what FDR have got heat for this week, which isn't their fault necessarily. But equally, at the, the end of the day, the Bucks and Omega are like the bosses of the founders and the bosses of the company. Now, there has been rumors of this today that the Bucks have put feelers out to WWE for the end of their contracts, which is perfectly understandable. The pro wrestlers have got to make a living, and they too are getting towards the end of their careers and it's the one yes. place they haven't gone on where they could make decent money. It's the one place where they where they haven't gone where they could make more money than they're making right now. Yeah, and which is the whole point of starting AEW, was to try and make money. <laughs> Produce wrestling that they liked, but I can't imagine the books having to go through NXT. <laughs> oh, no. And, and also, if the books did do stuff in nxt it would be they would be treated as like a mainstay feature and they would exclusively get to wrestle guys who are already like established talents who are really like you know it would be they would be on that show to be a primary attraction on that show they wouldn't be booked as like oh these guys are in developmental it's like no they would be treated like stars wherever they went yeah i mean i mean they get the aj styles treatment let's be honest yep 100 percent yeah, and it, but again, it's like, do they want to go, or is this just a storm in a teacup? And there's just so many questions that haven't been answered this week about all of this, and it's just so yeah. odd. It's so weird. It's just, it is just so, so odd. It's like, just like. More than to say, James. No, you carry on. The thing I keep thinking about about a lot of a lot of people don't know this because i think not enough people even know this book exists but there's a book written by cm venom who was punk's tag team partner in the mighty lwf the lunatic wrestling federation which is the backyard federation that is talked about in the wwe cm punk documentary 
Yeah. And you'll notice, by the way, in that documentary, none of the guys from that promotion are in that documentary. And that is not an accident. Um, yeah. Punk says early on in that documentary that his brother, who also worked for the promotion, stole the money from the promotion. And that was the severing of their relationship. And according to the book that CM Venom wrote, that is true. But yeah. the thing that Punk left out of that story is that... <laughs> Um, so first of all, Punk's brother, who apparently he still no longer speaks with at all, has no association with, uh, paid back all the money that he took mm. and did it slowly over time, but did it in the first place because he wanted to preserve his relationships with his friends. He was out of the promotion altogether. They wouldn't let him be involved anymore, but he was permitted to give them back the money. And he's still buddies with a lot of those guys. Yeah. Um, you can confirm that just by looking at social media. A lot of those guys are still friends with him. Um, the other thing that a lot of people, if you've only watched the CM Punk side of that story, the other thing a lot of people don't know is that Punk himself was basically the reason that LWF shut down because Punk at, I think, age 17, who had access to the promotion bank account, stole $7,000 out of their bank account, stole the wrestling ring, from the promotion and didn't give the wrestling ring back until threatened. He kept the money and used it to run his own wrestling show with mm. the guys, I think Ace Steel's uh, dojo, who he was buddies with. Cause he was training with Ace Steel, but apparently he wasn't like totally honest about that at the time. And yeah. then you know, had, had very clear aspirations of getting out of like being part of a small promotion and like getting to a place where he could become a big mainstay, like big name wrestler. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't know how much of that stuff is true. I know that's what this guy says in his book. And it is jarring to think about punk going on to become a multimillionaire, um, mm. which he is. And having the highest paid contract in AEW and having one of the best contracts in WWE at the time when he left and never having made any kind of financial amends for that. Yeah. Um, and also using the platform that WWE has to mm. tarnish all of those, you know, to tarnish that whole experience by like just talking about the thing his brother did that was messed up and not taking any accountability for anything that he did personally, just like yeah. telling his side of the story and that's it. Yeah. And I'm... that is something I thought a lot about because um, not only is that incredibly like messed up, I mean, we all, we all do awful shit when we're teenagers. I don't know that all of us are capable of stealing $7,000 from a bunch of our friends, <laughs> oh. uh, uh, you know, I mean, but yeah. um, he's never given his side of that there's really no reason for him to but he's also he's never gone out of his way to do that and everything he says about the cult situation is incredibly one-sided and leaves some obvious questions um we don't again we still don't know why colt got his own lawyer in the first place um we still don't know why in the post like post trial press conference thing where you know everybody comes out of the courthouse in nice suits uh Punk went out of his way to say he was super happy for all the people he loves, first and foremost, and specifically named Colt as one of those people. Yeah. And a week later, Colt sued him. Like, that is that is friggin' weird. Um, yeah. He, we don't know, you know, Punk's like, I had nothing to do with this guy getting fired. Like, 
it it seems odd to me that he was so worked up about that as to feel the need. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's maybe that makes sense that he was that offended that people would suggest that. Or I don't know. I, I how does that guy have the level of media experience that he has and not realize that addressing it that way and seeing it so angrily and seeing it in a context where he brought it up unsolicited makes it look like he's lying. Yeah. This is it the thing. Like Whether he's lying or not, it looks like he's lying. How does he not know that? Well, this is the thing. It's like we we talked about this online briefly this week because um, uh, one of the things that I raised about this, I'll, I'll, this is just something that I've thought about a lot. Somebody put a tweet out last year, and I think it was Alan Cheapshot, but Alan, I'm sorry if I, if I got this wrong. I should have asked you first, and I meant to, but I never got around to it. If, I think it was Alan Cheapshot. It may not have been. It may have been somebody else. Um, they said, let's see what happens when we put a famously grumpy and short-tempered wrestler in with the most united roster in pro wrestling history. And that was the mm. week that CM Punk signed. And if you look back at that roster when Punk signed, they were all happy. The show was rising in the ratings. They were putting on killer matches. Everything was working and flying in their directions, and they were the darlings of the wrestling industry. Mm -hmm. A year later, you have Eddie... Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara at each other's throats. You have this mess. You have other public spats as well. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's Punk's fault because people who earn large amounts of money in a high pressure situation or on TV every week are going to fall out with each other. You just can't help it. It's just the way it is. You just work with people yeah. you don't know. Yes. However, and one of the things that flagged with me when he signed, and I talked about this this week, was the fact that Punk hated Shikara. Shikara did some characters uh, called yep. Cole Cabrini and CP Monk, which was obviously based on Cole yep. Cabrini and CM Punk years ago. And obviously Cabana would end up being a Shikara wrestler and uh, forgave Quack for that aside, but Punk never did. And always, even in that podcast that he did with Cabana, raised it, those guys from Philly, I don't like, I think was the phrase or something along oh, those yeah. lines. I forgot that entirely. Yeah, you know, so I know you guys, you were friends with them and you work with them and that's fine, but I still don't like them. Those basically, he 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 mentioned that. And it might have been the one, the hundredth episode where Punk hosted it and he interviewed Carl Cabana. But one of those two things. Anyway, he never liked them because of that. And then you look at the current AEW roster. Well, Bryce Rensburg is the most recognizable one of all of them, I suppose, because yep. he's on TV all the time. He was the talent liaison and he was the president, who was the producer of Shikara Pro Wrestling. Orange Cassidy, yep. another former Shikara wrestler. The Young Bucks, former Campeones de Pereiras. They were a Shikara team for a long time. Um, yep. Scott Taylor uh, was the booker for Shikara, he booked all the mid-card views. He basically was Swamp Monster and designed everything that Swamp Monster did, you know. Um, he, all of these- on the first was, Shikara show I ever went to. He was on that card. Yeah, Eddie Kingston was the king. You know, he is the leader of the Shikara locker room and one of the guys that put Shikara on the map as far as 
match quality was concerned, he said in his interview with Colt Cabana, he said the most comfortable place for me in the world is the Shikara locker room and was notably lost when Shikara lost its luster to fans and eventually closed down because of decisions that were made and actions that were taken, which boggles down with other stuff. But Shikara closed and Eddie was clearly lost for quite some time. He signed with Impact Wrestling, didn't really do an awful lot, but then went to the NWA and had that one-off opportunity against Cody Rhodes and made his career. And if you look back at the beginning of the feud with Punk, who he doesn't like in kayfabe, but then again, Eddie doesn't like anyone in kayfabe, I'm not completely convinced he doesn't like him in real life either. Um, I, that's he does. Whole... I, just think, I just think he's good at being professional at this point in his career. That's the thing. He's learned to calm down, and I'm not sure Punk has. Like, well, Eddie King also, I don't know if this is, I, forgive me if this is like talking out of turn about something I don't know about, about a wrestler's personal life. Eddie Kingston has been vocal about the fact that he is on antidepressants now. Yeah. Mm. Punk's wife is a professional mental health advocate. I don't know that, uh, and that doesn't mean that Punk has to talk about his mental health publicly. That doesn't mean that he has to go to therapy or take meds or whatever. I will yeah. also say that that guy radiates to me, someone who desperately freaking needs to go to trauma therapy. Like, mm. holy cow. Um, yeah. you know, there's some people who are saying like, he's just a narcissist. Well, uh, most narcissists, as far as we know, psychologically are narcissists because something really bad happened to them and the narcissism developed as a coping mechanism. Um, doesn't mean they're easy to treat, but, uh, yeah, that guy seems like, I mean, he cut, he's notorious for cutting people off at the first sign of conflict in ways that don't make sense to other people when you explain it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's that famous story about Hornswoggle where like someone that Hornswoggle introduced him to and then Hornswoggle didn't have that guy's number and he asked Punk for mm. the number and Punk was like, you're dead to me, I'm done and never spoke to him again. Like that's, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, no, Eddie Kingston's been vocal about the fact that like his mental health wasn't always in a good place and he went out of his way to get his shit together. Yeah. And I do not know that we have any reason to think Punk has ever done that. <laughs> no, and this is the thing is like the, the, the bit that got me is like, all right, the books want you to go. And it looks like a place that Punk could really thrive in as a wrestler and it could be creative. And he said he wanted to help these young guys out. Whether he asked whether the young guys wanted any help or not is another different matter. But all of these Shikara guys, who he knows he's not going to get along with because it's not that kind of place that mm. is in the punk mindset of what good wrestling is. And AEW looks like Shikara at times on a bigger scale with a bigger budget. Because it does. Sure. Because it's the same wrestlers and they kind of book things in a similar way. And I think I described AEW as like, the Shikara roster mixed with the DDT roster with WCW booking once. And I think we've probably got away from that a fair bit, but not too far, you know. And there's yeah, Daft no. and, and which is what a wrestling company is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be a three-ring circus, and they're trying to find a different audience. Because right. the audience that watches WWE isn't the audience that's going to watch AEW. That's the whole point. 
drives me nuts yep. when people start comparing, well, WWE get $3 million a week. So they bloody should. They've been around for 80 years. Not trying out enough if they don't. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like, that's the bit that gets me. It's like, I, you know, I, I don't, AEW is rubbish because it's different. It's like, no, it's different because it's not trying to appeal to you. There'll be wrestling out there that will appeal to you. It's statistically impossible that there won't be wrestling out there that doesn't appeal to you. You know, I've right. guys say to me, like, oh, wrestling, I, I, <laughs> that match between Ronda Rousey and, was it Liv Morgan? Where Liv won the title. Liv Morgan. Yeah, she cashed in them. And it was like, I counted 23 cuts in that match from bell to bell. Yeah. And I was like, there's 23 cuts in this match from bell to bell. That is far too many for a match with two holes in it. There was yeah. a headlock and a finisher, and that was it. Mm -hmm. One of the replies said was, I wish there was wrestling with just two cameras. I went, there is. It's called Glate. It's free. It's on YouTube. Here, go watch this. And they're like, this is brilliant. Because yeah. <laughs> it's Glate's a two. Sorry? I, didn't, I had no idea it was free on YouTube. That's awesome. I'm going to watch some now. I didn't know you could watch that show for free. You know Cassandra Miyagi from uh, Sendai? Girls. Yeah. Yeah, she's their top. She's top uh, Joshi for them. Oh yeah, I definitely got to watch that shit. <laughs> it's I really cool. Marcus loves it. You know, Marcus doesn't necessarily like Japanese wrestling outside of New Japan. He really loves it. He watches it religiously now because I got him to do a couple of shows with me, and he thinks it's the best thing going in wrestling at the minute. It's replacing awesome. for him. I love that for him. I'm definitely if, now that I know that she's involved, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, it's the only mixed gender company in Japan, I think, at the minute. Uh, DDT what? is. DDT is, but DDT is different because it's like DDT is intergender. Right? Sorry? It's comedy, right? A lot of DDT is comedy. Yeah, yeah. And it's the, the, they do things a bit different. Whereas Glate is, Glate is the Japanese pronunciation of great, and they're trying to recreate the greatness of 90s wrestling, whether it's shoot-style wrestling, Joshi, or... Um, regular straight wrestling or Japanese lucha style wrestling. So that's why they've got strong hearts and all these guys from Wrestle One. Kaz Hayashi, formerly of WCW's lead booker, and Minoru Tanaka is the consultant for shoot wrestling. So they've got all the right guys to do the right job. But yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Sorry, we're going off on a tangent then. They had a big show today. That was, was really a good cool. tangent because I bet there are people in your audience or new people to the podcast who don't know about them. That's really cool. Yes, you should go back and listen to them. They had a big show today, and one of the big matches was Cassandra. Well, she's now Miyuchi Miyagi because she's using her real name. Miyuchi Miyagi versus Shima in a it, the first intergender match. Miyagi gets two for two pin for two counts, and Shima gets three counts. That was the way they handicapped it, which I thought was really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, which is a bit different. Anywho, but yes, I was was saying there is wrestling for you out there that you will find that will suit you. And that's the bit that kind of worries me in this particular sense is where do we go from here? What's next for the company? They obviously have a clear idea. They thought about it and came up with a plan, which is not a bad plan by all accounts, um, mm. which is basically get the belts off of the people that are currently suspended, put them back in circulation. And to be honest with you, as someone pointed out, I think the Death Triangle as Trio's champions was probably better <laughs> than the Elite, to be honest with you. But oh, it did. 100%. Yeah. And also a tournament of champions, which gives you a chance to braise guys up 
uh, again yep. that have kind of gone under the radar. Like Sammy Guevara is is an obvious one because a, a lot of things through no fault of his own have meant that he's kind of hammered himself into the ground. Through no fault of his own? Well, some of them have been his fault. Um, I'm going to forgive him for the thing he said about Sasha ever. I don't care what no, he said. That, yeah, I meant... I meant the bit after that when he came back. I still think that was horrible. I'm not saying that was good. Mm. I think the fact that him and Taya um, just not being good baby faces because together they're sickening <laughs> is, was what I was thinking of. Not That's not their fault. They're just a bit annoying, so they ended up being heels. Yeah, I mean, they are. Right. And to be fair, they are both very annoying. Yeah, <laughs> but that wasn't their fault. It's just... The way things are. Oh, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I think that's legitimate. Uh, but regardless, I think your point that Punk could have gone to go work somewhere else is a good one. You know, mm. I I wondered. I was like, I don't. Uh, thinking about this this week, it wasn't something I really thought about before. But thinking about this this week, I was like, why the hell doesn't that guy just go to like New Japan and do? two days of the G1, you know, and have yeah. some really cool one-off. Um, or why doesn't that guy... I mean, he did that one weird backstage WWE thing. Like, I'm not saying he should go to WWE, but I also feel like if he wanted to work something out to be involved with NXT, he probably would be able to do that without having to deal with most of the people he doesn't like. Although he yeah. probably still to deal with Hunter. Maybe that's not an option. Um yeah, I don't know. If he was so unhappy in the AEW locker room, why didn't he ask Tony if he could go to Ring of Honor next year? Yeah. You know, that whenever his contract is up, he could have been like, hey, I don't really like this situation here. It's not working for me. I'm not getting along with these guys. I'm not able to provide value to you. Why don't you put me in the Ring of Honor product? And then uh, every single time you do a Ring of Honor anything, people will watch it. Yeah, that's it. Or just get seconded to New Japan for, like you said, like maybe not do the G1 because I think he's just too, to be born too old to do the G1 and that kind of pressure wrestling all the time for two, for a month. Sure. But, sure. James, I think I lost you for a sec. I said he could just go do Wrestle Kingdom or King oh. of Pro Wrestling. Either. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, he could yeah. absolutely have done something like that. You know, like 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 Jericho used to do. One match every three months. Sure. Big pop, massive crowd. Go on. <laughs> and there's yeah. money there. Tanahashi, Okada, Nato, like I said before. Those those three to start with. You know? Um, even people like Evil would make money with CM Punk. And there's loads of things you could do with them. But got stuck. I mean, CM Punk, Zack Sabre Jr. feud writes itself. Yeah, exactly. That's so it. much fun. Oh my god. Even Tai even Tai Chi and CM Punk. I'd like to see that because I don't know what that looks like. Right. It would be weird. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. And that's what some of the best wrestling matches are there. Just because you don't know you needed them in your life, and that's where they are. And I think that's a serious problem with Punk in his entire career as a whole, and also specifically this week, is that that guy takes himself way too seriously it's an issue that Bret Hart had for a long time but mm -hmm. people have started this is the thing it's like 20 years later people at the time of the Montreal school job 
there was no obviously there was a lot of sympathy on Brett because he did get screwed over. And then yep. as people got away from it, there was more sympathy on the WWF, not necessarily Vince McMahon, that Brett took himself far too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's kind of drifted back to Brett again. Like, but yeah, he was right. You know, why shouldn't he take himself seriously? But this is a different thing with Punk. <laughs> Brett took his character seriously, which is what you're supposed to do. Yes. Whereas Punk takes himself too seriously, which is a bit of an issue. Oh, it's and I said this on Twitter, and my friend Sierra agreed with me immediately. And you know, like she's one of those people where I very frequently agree with her, like broader, wide-angle lens views of wrestling as a whole. I said I think yeah. the biggest problem with Punk in his entire professional career and in all his professional social relationships is that he deeply needs to be not just a top guy, but like the person with the most respect and the most power because he doesn't seem to realize that he doesn't actually need to be the person with the most power to be able to do the stuff he wants to do. That's no. not a thing that he needs. No. And he's never figured that out. He's never figured that out. If he had figured that out, I think he would have stayed in WWE, to be perfectly honest with you. And maybe one day he would have gotten his WrestleMania main event. Yeah, And, you know, I mean, he might not say because of the medical stuff. The medical stuff is really bad. I will never, ever, ever knock him for how angry he was about that. And the people that do make me nuts because it's like, yeah, no, guys, he could have died. Um, That was really bad and traumatic. And if it had mm-hmm. happened to you, you would have been traumatized, too, because anybody would have. But yeah, exactly. um, from the perspective of like, you know, being so furious that he couldn't have a WrestleMania main event and being so furious that he couldn't work with some of the big name top guys that he wanted to work with, um, you know, being so furious that he wanted to work with Austin and never got to do that. Like, you know, he didn't need to be the most important person in the entire company in order to get the things that he wanted. Jericho pretty much always gets what he wants and he is frequently not booked like the top guy and not on TV every week. No, that's it. But I think that's the thing is that CM Punk believes he needs to be Hulk Hogan, but he doesn't have to be Hulk Hogan because the undertaker managed to do like 15 times as much as Hulk Hogan did. But he was just always there and you know and that's the thing you look back now at the 80s and 90s wrestling scene who gets the respect it isn't hulk hogan it's roddy piper who made just as much money who punk says is one of his heroes exactly didn't work half as hard as hogan did by the way (laughs) retired early and then came back and got paydays when he needed to yeah you know this is the thing is like because Piper was always looking for the next thing to go do, whereas Hogan was a wrestler. And there's nothing wrong with being just a wrestler. That's fine. But yeah. it's, it's, it's the same thing like as well. Like Austin pretty much got to do what he wanted to do until he didn't. And then he went home. And that was fine by him. You know, and The Rock will always be the bet noir of the WWE in the sense that... The Rock. Sorry? He'll always be the rock. His position is yeah. yeah. To the point where Vince McMahon will fet him 
for you know for whatever like the, what? <laughs> i mean it i'm trying to sort of get, pick my right words here but you think about what the rock did this year he had that film with vince vaughn not vince vaughn oh what was it called red flag that was it mm-hmm. and they did the gold egg thing that was was the rock's like presence in wwe this year yeah Impact Wrestling said, would you mind inducting Ken Shamrock into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame? And, yeah, of course. Ken's cool. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he would, he would rather do, because he gets to pick the things he wants to do because he doesn't need wrestling anymore because he always walked away at the right moment. And that's and that's kind of the thing, right? Punk yeah. took all these painstaking steps in his career to liberate himself from wrestling. like. He went and had, and not talking about the quality of his MMA career, he went and had an MMA career. I'm sure that was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I, I watched the UFC documentary about his training. Um, just even if the only times he ever trained were the things that were shown in those YouTube videos, uh, mm-hmm. he was working really, really, really hard at trying to be good at MMA. That doesn't mean that he was. That doesn't mean it was the best career move he could have made, but he was working his ass off. He's done movies since then. He's written comic books. He did a little bit of voice acting, I think, for something. Um, Mm. He went out there and did all this stuff that is lucrative enough that he never needed a wrestling paycheck for the rest of his career. He could have just retired. And so when he came back to AEW, I was like, wow, that guy must be really excited to wrestle again. And, you know, it's not like the matches that we're watching. I, you know, he's definitely older. He can't do all the stuff that he used to be able to do. Um, And he's not on the level of someone like a guy like Brian Danielson, where, I mean, you know, I mean, nobody who's on Brian Danielson's level, like very, very, very few people, but like, um, He's had to make some stylistic changes and not all of those changes have been smooth is what I was trying to say. No, no. But he seemed like he was having fun. And yeah. this tirade to me makes it clear that on some level, I don't think he actually was. I think he was trying to convince himself that he was having fun and trying to convince everybody else that he was having fun and that this was like going super well for him and everything was perfect and sunshine and roses. And I know it's a lot of money, but it it doesn't seem like he would have needed to do those things to get that payday. I feel no. like Tony Khan would have been willing to write him a check for a million dollars, even if all Punk had agreed to was, yeah, I'll do dynamites once a week, uh, two times a month, and I'll show up on your pay-per-view. And once a year, you can call upon me to do like six straight weeks of TV to promote something really big and special. I feel like Tony still would have written him a check for a million dollars because it's CM Punk. Yeah, of course he does. And he'd been gone for seven years. That's it. It's like Hogan didn't appear on WWE television on a weekly basis. You barely saw him for months at the peak of Hulkamania in the late 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. You'd see him on Saturday Night's Main Event He'd do a promo on, on every three weeks on Superstars and the commentators would talk about him because he was the biggest star in wrestling. He didn't know, didn't need to do anything. And the right. same with WCW. When, when they got to the Monday night era and the Nitros and stuff, yes, he was on TV every week. He didn't wrestle every week. Yeah. That was, I mean, and that's the thing. That doesn't mean he wasn't involved in the company. You heard about the Scott DeMore story with Hulk Hogan. 
I don't know about that one. Right. So Scott Demore's first major job in wrestling was booking all of the enhancement talents for WCW. Mm-hmm. Because he was an enhancement talent wrestler. And mm-hmm. he would book a load of guys for superstars. Was Saturday night main event of Saturday night wrestling, that was it. Saturday night WCW that they used to do at the center stage. And sure. basically all of the job guys, he booked them. And Hogan came to him one day and said, I need to talk to you. I need better quality job guys. He said, because the ones you've got are all right, but they need to be bigger and they need to be better wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And Scott was like, why do you care about the job guys, if you don't mind me asking? And Hogan said, because the guys that beat them need to look like they can beat me. Mm. And that was, (laughs) otherwise, I'm not a draw. Because it's not all. They said, if they could go and beat people in two seconds, or if they are beating guys who are tiny, or if they're beating guys who are not physically intimidating, What's that going to look like when they come and wrestle me? Yeah. Because Hogan, for all his faults, is still one of the smartest operators in professional wrestling history. Sure. But that's how you do it. You don't have to be there every week. You can be a presence and improve a locker room and improve a product without being there every week. In fact, in some cases, you're better off if you're not there every week. Right. Because, and, and Cornette said it enough times, how can I miss you if you never go away? That is a very fair point. Yeah, you know, just because Jim's horrible doesn't mean he's wrong sometimes. <laughs> Should we talk about Dynamite this week? Did you watch any of Dynamite? I didn't get chance. Didn't get a chance to watch Dynamite. I watched like I watched the highlights and stuff, so I know what happened. But yeah. So, I thought so. First of all, the fact that we don't know what's happening with Punk. Um, that we don't know if he's fired, we don't know if he's suspended, we don't know what he and Tony have talked about and agreed upon, if he'll ever be back, if he's just going to wait out his deal after he gets surgery. Um, I think the fact that they haven't said anything is really smart because it, even if that stuff has been decided and is not in flux, um, because it keeps everybody in suspense, right? Like I literally mm-hmm. reached Dynamite to find out if CM Punk had been fired. That was my explicit goal going into that episode was to find out if they were going to say we fired him. I was yeah. like, well, okay, that's a real, that's a really big carrot. Um, and then they didn't say his name. No. And that pro- did you watch the promo that John Moxley cut near the top of the yeah, show? Yeah, I did watch that. I did watch that. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> I, I I've talked about this on your show before. I know this is not the most popular opinion with some of the people who love your podcast, James, but I love John Moxley. I I, <laughs> I love John Moxley too. I I adore him. I that promo is so brilliant. So 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 before Moxley cuts his promo, MJF comes out and MJF is doing his super annoying MJF thing, right? And he just came back at the pay-per-view after a long absence and his contract is in flux. And he alludes to the fact, like, I don't need to be here. I could go work for WWE, essentially, is what he's saying, right? Like, I'm too big a star. And then as soon as he realizes that the thing he's doing doesn't work, he switches it up and gets more heelish. Yeah. And Mox is like, I don't have time for this shit. And they almost get into it, but then he runs away like a chicken shit coward. And then Mox cuts up one of the promos that's going to be remembered as like, wow, that guy did some really cool stuff in his career. One day when he retires, that that promo will be in like the super cut of all the best John Moxley promos. Um, where 
without saying Punk's name, he says essentially the following. I care about this company. I care about this title, but I care about the title, not because of, it's a symbol that makes me look good. I care about this title because of what it means to wrestling Yeah. as a whole. I want wrestling to be a better industry. I want people to elevate themselves to get to the best place that they can as wrestlers. And I want AEW to be the place to do that. And, you know, every bit the selfless workhorse that those of us who really like that guy saw in Dean Ambrose when he was, uh, when he mm. was like wrestling with his elbows and his knee wrapped for a couple of months while he held the title because other yeah. people got sick and were hurt. Like, just without saying Punk's name, he's like, hey, look, that guy that Punk is always loudly telling you he is, he's not that guy. I'm that guy. And yeah. I want to fight for that belt. It was so brilliant it was so effortless it was so easy for him i would not be surprised if that guy like worked out that promo in his head and ran the highlights by tony but didn't even really tell him that much about what he needed to say no and I, it was just so genius right yeah and it leads on from the tanahashi promo at forbidden door where tanahashi <laughs> said I didn't duck you for three years. I waited for three years for you to get to my level. Yeah. That is what Moxley's talking about. It's he like to be the ace. He wants yeah. to be the ace. I was just like, oh, I love you, Mox. You get it. <laughs> no, this is uh, he trusts the audience to know that he's talking about Tanahashi when he says that. He yeah. trusts you to know that. It was so good. I was like, look, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the it's the it's the the metadata. He wants to be the Tanahashi because AEW fans know what Tanahashi did for New Japan Pro Wrestling. New Japan Pro Wrestling was getting five hundred people into tiny halls in the middle of nowhere, and Tanahashi yeah. will be six hundred next time when he yeah. was champion. And he buried himself in the job of being champion in his first reign. The next time there was seven hundred and fifty, and the next time there was eight hundred, the next time there was a thousand because he worked that hard. And Moxley knows very much how hard Tanahashi worked. If you want to go find out, there's the um, Aces blog on NJPW1972.com where Tanahashi every week talks about his career, how he made things better for the company. And that's what Moxley wants to do for AW. And, and not, I'm, sorry to, I'm sorry to cut you off, James, but just I yeah. want to ask, you don't, before Moxley cut that promo, if you just looked at his behavior overall in what he's done since he left wwe that particular ethos comes across when he talks about wanting the wrestling industry to be better because that guy does gcw like yeah. all the time there is no way gcw draws a big enough house or has enough people watching their product digitally because it's a very particular like it's a specific genre there is no way that Mox thinks that he does GCW because he's going to get a big payday. He's not. I'm sure he's the best paid person on all those cards. I'm also sure he doesn't need the freaking money or he would have just you know, stayed in WWE and worked for Vince forever. He has matches with people who are far less famous than he is. And they're at the top of the hierarchy in GCW. I mean, Effie is not nobody, but Effie mm. is also 
not someone that every wrestling, like if you don't use wrestling Twitter and you don't really care about the GCW product, you may not even know who Effie is. No, that's it. And it, it, it's like he spent last weekend tagging with Sammy Callahan because he likes tagging with Sammy Callahan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't like Sammy Callahan. People will fall aware I don't like Sammy Callahan. John Moxley does. So he went tagging with Sammy Callahan for a couple of weekends because he's an old mate he wants to go tag with. So he did. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, his, when COVID happened, a lot of people talked about this, but I'll just remind Mm. people, COVID happened, and one of the shows that I think was for, was either GCW or like IWA, something like that. One of those promotions he had a history with before he went to WWE and was like, he had announced he was going to do a show for them and it got canceled. Um, He secretly reached out to the promoter and paid the wrestlers personally out of his personal accounts for the show that was going to take place because the show was canceled and he was worried about how other guys were going to pay their bills. Yeah. That's whatever else you, I mean, the people have valid criticisms of that guy and the way he works and his style of wrestling is not everyone's style of wrestling. I totally get that, but he really is about that shit that punk talks about all the time about looking out (laughs) for the little guy and caring more about, the fate of the business in a lot of ways than he does about his own ego. And what I think, carry on, sir. I just, I just, I, I was so, he is not the only impressive thing about that episode of Dynamite. It is a fantastic episode of Dynamite. Every match on that show is really pretty good. Um, but I was just, I was so, I was so happy to see him be allowed to step up in that role and say that and be like, I'm going to carry this company on my back. We're going to be fine. We don't need that guy. And he didn't even have to say his name. I was so proud. I was like, I, I knew, I, I hoped that someday this was off in the future for you when you were Dean Ambrose and you were doing stupid, weird prop comedy because Vince is an idiot. Um, <laughs> I dream that one day you would get to this place and he did, and it's lovely. I'm sorry, what were you about to say? <laughs> I, I was going to say, and this has actually just kind of clicked with me, this thought process, and it just kind of sums up the difference between CM Punk and John uh, Moxley, and it's through the filter of Minoru Suzuki, of all people. Hmm. Um, Suzuki said a while ago, and it's been often quoted, and I think this is relevant to this particular conversation, mm-hmm. is, that, is that the trouble with... WWE wrestling was basically what he was saying was he said you end up with you you take a guy who's good at one thing let's say he's a good aerial wrestler and then you make him great at all the other stuff Mm -hmm. so you've got 20 guys who are all really good (laughs) he said but they've got no more characteristics about them a smooth grey lump of a wrestler I think yes yeah, and he said John Moxley's the best wrestler in the world because he's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> he said because he said because he's not. He said he's good at one thing. That's the thing he's good at, yes. and that's what makes him because he's only good at that one thing. Yes. So he said, therefore, he's the best wrestler in the world because he's made himself the best wrestler in the world by doing that one thing. Now he wasn't talking about Punk, but Punk's most often stated best in the world commentary is about being like the complete package of a wrestler but that doesn't necessarily make you a draw and it doesn't necessarily make you the most important person in the company right 
even when it makes you a draw, you can be the biggest draw and also not be somebody that your colleagues want to share a locker room with, which is going to hinder your ability to do the stuff you say you want to do. Yeah. Um, so many of his criticisms of the elite in that, in that press conference just didn't make any sense to me. Like he was saying, you don't middle your top baby face. I was like, first of all, why are you the top baby face? I don't necessarily think that you are. No. And I mean, maybe, maybe just in terms of like the gate that he drew, maybe he is, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but also how did anybody middle you? How did anybody push you to the middle? Like, also, what do you think? What, what do you think it means when you say you want to help the younger guys, but you're complaining about your position on the card? Do you really think that the matches you have with a guy who hasn't done anything yet, who hasn't been to New Japan, who hasn't already got an established following before he gets to AEW, um, say, uh, who was one of the first young wrestlers he worked with? Somebody like Hook. Hook got yeah. a lot of attention, but that those matches probably didn't draw the same number of eyeballs on them that Punk versus Moxley did because Moxley's already an established draw. Of course so those are technically, even though Punk is an upper card guy, those are technically kind of mid card matches. What does he think it means to be the guy who helps the younger guys? It's like, I think you want people to associate you with that, but I don't think you actually are about that shit in any way. No, and this is something Ben Spindler said it on the Random Wrestling Review because they did the the Punk debut night. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a Brian Daniels, Brian Danielson debut night, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was the difference between Punk and Danielson when they signed. This is very much the difference between Punk and Danielson generally. Mm-hmm is that Punk said, I want to help those younger guys have great matches. And Danielson said, I want to beat the shit out of them. Because yeah. Danielson's always thinking about the business and Punk is always thinking about his position. Mm. That's a big difference. You know, the, the, Ben was quite right to say that because he said, he said, because Ben lives and dies by kayfabe, he said wrestling should be presented in kayfabe all the time. And I don't disagree with him. To an extent, as a wrestling journalist, having done interviews is pain in the ass when people only <laughs> want to talk in kayfabe. I interviewed Chris Daniels for 45 minutes in kayfabe one night. It was oof. Anyway, um, but that's the difference. Is Daniels, and there's another difference as well. Obviously, Punk runs down WWE and Vince McMahon when he's in, he's in his first promo when he signs. Brian Danielson took out a page in Sports Illustrated and said thank you to Vince McMahon for all the opportunities he gave him. I'm sorry I'm leaving, but I want to try something different. Yeah, he was, he was, and I'm sure on some level he did part of that because he didn't want to burn bridges for Brie because Brie is never going to have the kind of wrestling-related career options that Daniel Bryan does, nor does she want them, right? I mean, you know, and that's totally fair. Good Go, girl, get your merch checks. Do your once-a-year WrestleMania appearance where they sell a bunch of T-shirts. Good for you. Um, I'm sure he didn't want to burn bridges for her, but I just thought that that thing in the Players' Tribune both came across as being very genuine and heartfelt and also being such a smart political move. I, it yeah. was so delicious. So yeah. great. And... um also, what I was thinking about when you were talking about how Brian's like, I want to beat the shit out of them, and Punk's like, I want to help the young guys. Um, Punk is not the guy who's running master classes no. before every AW taping 
Brian is. Brian and William Regal, and I think who is the other person who's routinely involved in those tapings now? Cesaro. Cesaro. Yeah. I mean, you can ask for more accomplished, more experienced wrestlers. And they just basically, they're just letting people come to them and figure out stuff that they want to do. And I, I could be wrong about this, but my understanding is part of why Wheeler Yuta got picked to join Blackpool Combat Club was because he was one of the guys who showed up for that shit and Regal was impressed. Yeah. I would also like to point out, Brian Danielson, Cesaro, two Chicago guys. Yep. There you go. That's it. I'm so think didn't make that connection, James. You were the first person I heard say that, but as soon as you did, I was like, that absolutely clicks. Yeah, because they... As much as Chikaru ended badly, and there is bad stuff to be said about Chikaru, about pay and conditions and the way they treated their wrestlers and their trainees. Mm. The actual wrestling content, because me and you were Chikaru fans and Ben was a Chikaru fan, the actual wrestling content was as good as it got in North American Indie Wrestling for 10 years. Yeah, They did the right things, they booked the right people, they made the right matches. And it's produced a university of professional wrestlers that Sarah Del Rey, who runs yep. the WWE Performance Center, who is responsible for women's wrestling's training, who is therefore responsible for the four horsewomen, Liv Morgan, yep. Ruby Riot, who was an extra Shikara person. <laughs> All of these people, you know, the or Ruby Soho is she is now. All of these people, her, because she's ex-Shikara. Cesaro is again ex-Shikara. Um, all of Eddie Kingston, all of this stuff that has moved professional wrestling forward started with that company. And yeah. again, it just like, why would you go if you knew you're not going to get on with those people? Because of not necessarily, you'd probably get on with them personally, but there is just a philosophical disconnect between the like type of wrestling that CM Punk likes to do and thinks is good compared to what those guys do and they think is good. Um, my my personal take on that is that punk thinks that he should always have the kind of influence where if he shows up, things are going to go his way and they're going to be done the way he says they should be done. And I think he expected, and to some extent, I think he was right to expect a little bit of that because for sure, when he got signed, that was a huge fucking deal for AEW. I mean, they kicked off their second show, Rampage show. They kicked Mm. off a brand new show, their first episode with him showing up. Right. And they made sure yeah. even though they didn't announce it that you thought that was a possibility. And that's why it did great numbers. Um, I think he had a right to expect that he was going to get the star treatment. But I also, I, you know, I don't think that guy has a right to expect that just because he's there that he's going to get absolutely everything he wants. And I don't know. I. <sighs> We keep we keep circling back to CM Punk and his like psychology of stuff. I just, man, I really want that guy to go to trauma therapy. I, <laughs> I, I even if he never comes back to wrestling, and honestly, a big part of me hopes he doesn't because he keeps getting hurt. If uh, I say that as somebody who is like, I I read that LWF book that I talked about before because yeah. I'm a fan of his. Right, yeah. I was a fan of his for a long time. I don't I don't really know if I am anymore. Um, I just it, it hurts seeing that guy sabotage his own success like that and somehow not realize that that's what he was doing. Yeah. Also, is, I'm sorry. Go, what were you no, go, go on, go on, go on. I just wanted to say, 
a couple of people, Meltzer and Sean Ross Sapp, have both said that when the Bucks and Punk got into their fight, the head of legal at AEW, who is the number two person in the company, was right there. Yeah. That she was in the freaking room. Yeah. And if you're willing to get into a fight, a fist fight of any kind, if you're not literally like, I don't want to fight you, man. This is not my deal. We're not doing this now. I need to cool off. I'm injured. I'm hurt. I'm tired. You're angry. I can see that. We will pick a time and we will do this next week. Like, if if you're not able to do that, you have no business calling yourself a top guy and calling yourself a locker room. Nope. You just don't. You just don't. Don't get into a fist fight in front of the head of legal. Why are you freaking stupid? Yeah, that's it. That's the bit that it just doesn't, it's not even like you hear all these old school stories about the things Harley Race did and the things that Stan Hansen mm-hmm. did back in the 80s and the 90s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. But the business was better for it and Harley didn't hurt himself in the process. Yeah. You know, or at least he not, did some not... daft stuff. Yeah. Yes. But he didn't necessarily he did it for the the, the classic example is the like Flair's second reign. He's yeah. booked to go go to all Japan Pro Wrestling and wrestle Jumbo Saruta. Jumbo <clears throat> is known as being a bit of a hard case because he was, because he was a former like Japanese Olympic wrestling champion and mm-hmm. And uh, Rick goes to the head of the NWA and says, what happens if Jumbo decides he wants to be NWA World Heavyweight Champion? Because I can't do anything about that. If he wants to be, he will be. Mm-hmm. And the boss goes, take Harley with you. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Jumbo goes and drops Rick on his head with a German suplex within the first five minutes of the first match. And after the match is finished, Jumbo sat in Giant Baba's office and... Harley walks in, slaps Jumbo across the face and says, if you have a German suplex one of my friends again, you'll have to deal with me. And mm. did it in front of his friend, oldest friend in professional wrestling, Giant Baba. And that was there to protect the business. Now, I'm not saying it was the right thing to do. And it was borderline whether it was the right decision to make. It was the decision he's making. He's Harley Race. But he's protecting Rick because he's protecting the NWA because he's protecting the business. And it's good for him. It's good for Jumbo. And it's good for Baba. He knows that, knows that. Jumbo doesn't yet. Jumbo learned fast. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that that was the right thing to do because physical violence is not the right thing to do. But there was a thought process there. Who does this help? It doesn't help Punk. It doesn't help the books. It doesn't help Omega. It doesn't help Hangman Page. It doesn't help Colt Cabana. It doesn't help A Steel. It doesn't help Tony Khan. And it was apparently thought about. It was apparently, you know, something that had been stewing in Phil's brain for a long time. Uh, but it doesn't help anyone. Didn't help him. No, it definitely not. It him his career, and that wasn't an easy career to come by. No, that's the thing. And it's like, Tony's not daft. He's not going to let him go anywhere else. But like you said, if he was enjoying wrestling but not enjoying the company... You know, yeah. it's been done before. Goldberg did not enjoy the WWE, didn't like the McMahons. He wasn't a mark for them, so he wasn't prepared to go jump ship. All Japan Pro Wrestling offered him thousands upon thousands of dollars to go and do one-off shows for them over a series of big events, and they sold out the Tokyo Dome. And it was the yeah. last time AJPW sold out the Tokyo Dome. 
Goldberg and the Great Muta versus uh, Chronic of all people, Brian Adams and yeah. Brian Clark. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I didn't even know he did that. Yeah, we we, we reviewed it on the Troopney show a couple of weeks ago because we found a bunch of old Japan um, pay-per-views from the early 2000s. And it's just like, this is the weirdest match you could ever possibly think of. And it's brilliant because the intro, you know, like the classic Goldberg intro, it starts down the street at Kurukan Hall. They walk to the Tokyo Dome and he gets changed. Wow. He goes in the locker room. You don't see him taking his clothes off. He shuts the door. And he comes out in his wrestling gear, and then these nice. Marines that I could, could follow into the room. Wow. It's hilarious. That is amazing. And I think Darrow described it as the best match he ever saw Chronic in. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Yeah. Anywho, but yes. Um, one, one final thing I wanted to say about Dynamite, because I got sucked into my vortex of just talking about how much I love John Moxley, is that I felt like the message that that entire show was trying to send across was we don't need those guys that you've heard of. Even if they're some of the biggest guys we have, we will be fine. No one man is bigger than the brand. I feel like that was the goal. And I feel like they accomplished that goal because every match on that card was freaking excellent. Oh yeah. I mean, you look at that tournament they've got for the championship and everyone's yeah. been a champion in the company, you know, and they're all big names, uh, like Pac and uh, uh, all of them, <laughs> Cesaro and, you know, all of these people that could carry a company yep. and they're carrying a company and, and they don't need punk, which brings us to the question, was he worth the effort? Um, I'm going to say yes. I get it. He did draw a million dollar house for them for the first time. I do yeah. think that there are people who watch AEW now who may not have learned that that was something that they would like if they hadn't tuned in specifically to see Punk's comeback. Mm. Um, I will say that at this point, I do not think he's worth the effort. And <laughs> I, I do have one criticism of their apparent strategy going forward, which is like not necessarily a direct answer to that question, but it's sort of tangentially related, right? You have this massive vortex you now have to fill this crater fill this crater that exists there and it doesn't seem to have occurred to tony in any way to fill that crater with the women yeah and look at the longevity and the experience you have in that locker room my god why why was there one women's match on that card i love penelope ford i tony is not uh i'm not i'm not a huge mark for tony storm but She's a really good wrestler. <laughs> they had a good match. I could also tell they were rushing. Yeah. All through it. Yeah. Actually, no. what I'm sorry, maybe they were, were there two women's matches on that? No, there was another match on Rampage. That's what it was. Serena yeah, yeah. And got into it on Rampage and had a decent match. Um, yeah. But uh, there is so much talent and so much experience in that locker room. Instead of the next time, hiring a really big draw money guy who has a weird reputation for being kind of a curmudgeon just let the women who work for you do some cool shit on tv yeah that's it and you've got a yeah. crew that can do the job they could run that show they you know it, it's it's a really good roster now it was a thin roster but even the guys they get going in on um uh, dark 
are really good. No one's bad. It's just I mean, badly presented and there's no enough story. I mean, Sunny Kiss uses she, her pronouns as well as he, him pronouns. Let mm. Sunny wrestle the women's division. Everybody would love it. I think Sunny would love it. Sunny's had a bunch of m- matches with women that were really fun on the Indies. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, let Mercedes Martinez wrestle whoever she wants. It will be great. Let Emmy Sakura wrestle whoever she freaking wants. It will be awesome. Because no, she let Emmy Sakura, some Emmy Sakura, book the women's division and give them the same amount of time every week. Thank you. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's not, it's not yes. like she hasn't built three groundbreaking companies from scratch herself. You know. <laughs> She has more experience than Tony. She has more experience than Kenny, who's been apparently booking the women's division, which um, he sucks at. Yeah. He's, uh, Emi Sakura is... He's not good at it, so don't make him do it anymore. Emi Sakura is the best booker in AEW by a long way. She made an entire TV program out of a bunch of DDT mid-card guys and some of the people from her dojo and a mattress. <laughs> that John um, loves and adores and has reviewed every episode of and has done an awful lot to promote it as much as she could because, which has been filtered into DDT storylines because it, that, it became that important. Mm. You know, it, they did it to employ people through the pandemic and stuck it on YouTube yeah. and just had silly little wrestling matches just to keep everybody busy and, you know, because mm. I mean, he's a wrestling genius. Yeah. He absolutely is. You know, she's and, done more than you. She's seen more than you. She's worked oh. with everybody. She knows everybody. Like, let you know, and I don't care if that means that you have to hire someone who can professionally translate for her in every single production meeting. Fucking do it. She's worth the money. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone will respect her. Mm-hmm. Which they won't necessarily respect Kenny and they won't necessarily respect you because they you don't understand what they do. I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. I think a lot of those women probably do respect Kenny. And my general impression of Kenny, despite things that he's said and done that I don't agree with, is that he's mostly a nice guy, right? Yeah. I, he's mostly a nice guy, and I do think he has a good mind for wrestling. But um, I don't think Kenny understands the particular challenges with women's wrestling in North America. Because that's not a thing he's ever had to deal with. When he did intergender matches, it was mostly in Japan. And that is a totally different ballgame. Yes, there is sexism there. And there's sexism everywhere. But yes, there are things about that industry that are really sexist and messed up. But it is a different brand of sexism than the Vince McMahon brand of sexism that permeates every corner of wrestling in North America. It's just a different ballgame. and yeah, I it's you know I know they brought Madison Rain in from Impact, and I was initially pretty excited about that. But it seems like they're using her on screen as a as a talent, and then I'm kind of like, well, aren't you gonna have the same problem you have with the Bucks, where yeah. any decision that she makes is gonna get questioned as you know, are you doing this because it's the right thing to do, or are you doing this because it's your career? Yeah, um, and and it, it, that's the thing is it's like. I love Madison Rain. She's absolutely awesome, and she's a brilliant person. 
and she's a really good trainer and she's she she's been there from the beginning she knows how to do everything that they need someone to do but it is just like even even within that position let's say she is absolutely like the women love her and she they think she could do no wrong and she's arbitrary and everything's good yeah. if they still only get 20 minutes a week there's no point hiring her seriously yeah you know it's, it's like storylines and the only storylines they get is that uh brit baker's a bitch which yeah. like, I, I don't think she's a bitch in real life necessarily i i don't I, she seems like she's a nice person right a lot yeah. of people who work with her really like working with her and that comes across but um but that's the only consistent storyline in the women's division other than jade being baddie which i like jade and i think the baddie thing is like right at her level she can get that in her strike zone every time i think it's great for her to you know cut promos about like where's my baddie section you know that yeah. that shit accomplished on twitter something that most people have to spend a lot of money to make work and she didn't have to do that because she's just she's good at that she's good at self-promotion yeah. other than that are there any freaking storylines that no. run, there don't seem to be that's a problem no. fix it yeah i mean there is there is the uh, wwe often goes quite the other way and in fact there's far too much storyline um sure. i had an argument about this with somebody on, online when tony storm left uh, which was, there was like, well, I can't remember. So I made a comment about the pie incident and someone replied, well, that's storytelling and you don't know about it and it shows. And I was like, so why do you need a storyline to sell a match between your world champion and the number one contender? Yeah. You don't need that. That's, she's the world's champion. She's the best wrestler in the world. Yeah. And it shouldn't be over throwing pies at each other. Thankfully, it was only throwing pies over each other from what Tony Storm said. The original idea was ripping tops off of each other, which is utterly yeah. ridiculous in this day and age. But yeah, it's just, there is there is a line, but you can't rely on it all the time. It can't be done. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've solved all of AEW's problems and they should be hiring us now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tony, if you're listening, we are available for a large fee. I was gonna say, um, you know, it, honestly, honestly, if Tony needs somebody to show up a couple of a couple of uh, months out of the year and just yell at him to make him put the women on television, um, I would definitely do it for free. I will help you as well. Um, yeah. Just call him up and go put women on TV, just constantly every five minutes. Um, and I suppose that's it. I think we've discussed every angle of the, the week in punk, as we said at the beginning of the show. Um, this one's going to go out on a Sunday for a change because we're going to do this one early. punk we were intending to have. <laughs> <laughs> Summer of punk subject to change. <laughs> Ooh, why is the it? Third, third Summer of punk. See, there's, this is the thing. Is like it's, it's a trilogy now. It's the third Summer of punk. Is it... Ever diminishing returns is the Godfather Part Three of Punk. <laughs> yeah. But there we go. I think that's it. Where can we find you on the internet, Chelsea? Uh, I have a Twitter and an Instagram and a TikTok. The handle is Panels and Pros. Um, sometimes I talk about wrestling. Sometimes I talk about women's gymnastics. But you are welcome to follow me there. Uh, you can find me uh, at Sheriff Lonestar on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and Patreon. We keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. 
that would be yeah. lovely if you could that'd be really nice uh i'll be back tomorrow with john um dinsdale and we're looking at the last ever match of the great muta it's been our summer of muta because we've done loads of muta stuff this year but it's, it's getting to the end of his career we're nearly done it was bye bye muta and he wrestled the great okan last week in noah so that's what we're going to look at Dang. Um, yeah that's kind of cool they went to dinner the night before there was a picture of like the great okan and muta having dinner together because <laughs> i can't, can't go anywhere without a camera um but he is like you know He's he's the man at the minute. He's John is so angry that he didn't win the G one. <laughs> and I'm like, but he's he's had like three years. It's probably should have won the G one. I'm like, barely anybody knows who he is. But he's amazing. I went, yeah, just because you like him doesn't mean it'll make money. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the this I like John so much because he was like B when I was younger because he wants like the things that are really cool, not necessarily the stuff that makes money. <laughs> yeah. Which is fine. We should all want the things that are cool. But there we go. Um, but yes, we'll be back tomorrow. And we'll be back next week when we talk more about professional wrestling, which is what we do here at the Troopany Show. There'll be another rewind, I'm sure. Daryl will email me a rewind some with some point this week. I have no doubt. I wonder what they'll be talking about. Eh? <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Um, take care and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. <laughs>